Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? Before we begin this week's podcast, a shout out to our listener Lauren for inspiring this week's topic by drawing our attention to the parallels between what has been happening with the fast fashion brand Boohoo and the scandal surrounding the people who work for Amazon and modern day slavery. If you come across something interesting you would like us to discuss, please feel free to shoot us a message on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is the underscore miss underscore inform, or you can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. Now here's the podcast. So this week in Germany, there has been a lot of discussion around this so-called Lieferkettengesetz, which translates to supply chain law. Gerd Müller, a member of the CSU and our Federal Minister of Economic Cooperation and Development, wants to present a law by August for supply chain transparency. So this law aims to tackle child labor, exploitatively low wages, and environmental damages, production conditions, particularly of chocolate shoes, clothing, coffee, which are often very, very cheap in Germany. And interestingly enough, this caused a lot of discussion, mainly around what it means for companies and for the consumer. This has also been a very hot topic worldwide in the current pandemic. As you might have seen, Kylie Jenner has been accused of not paying her factory workers in Bangladesh, and companies like Boohoo have been accused of paying their factory workers in Leicester $3.50 an hour and just generally having terrible working conditions. And this sort of points to a larger issue within the fast fashion community. Yeah, coronavirus has been doing a really good job of kind of pointing out the systemic problems and inequalities in the world and specifically the fashion industry. Since coronavirus happened and a lot of shops closed, all of these shops, these fast fashion shops, to name a few, the Arcadia Group, which owns Topshop, Topman, Miss Selfridge, Dorothy Perkins, Evans, CNA, The Children's Place, JC Penny, Primark, Mothercare, Sears, Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, and Walmart, Asda and the George brands, have just not paid for the production of any garments that has happened during this period in countries like Bangladesh. They also haven't paid for any of the materials, any of the production already done, which means that these poor people, and they are literally the poorest of the poor people who are working in these factories, have just been left to starve. And when I say the poorest people, I mean like... 93% of surveyed brands revealed that they were not paying garment workers a living wage. So a living wage is basically defined as the monthly minimum that you have to earn in any given place to afford basic essentials like food, water, maybe education, you know, transport, something to wear, drinking water, basic living wage. So in London, for example, a basic living wage is calculated at £1,800, about, whereas the monthly minimum wage is actually below that, it's £1,400. And in Dhaka in Bangladesh, the living wage should be per month £150, about, but the monthly minimum wage is actually 
actually £72. The reason that the minimum wage is lower in a country like Bangladesh than, you know, what is calculated to be a basic living wage so that the person can just afford to eat and everything is that Bangladesh wants to attract companies from the West to do their production in these countries. And so they set the monthly minimum wage just lower so it would be better for capitalism and the economy and they would attract investors and producers. A garment worker makes in Dhaka less than. Servid brands are not even paying their garment workers a living wage, less than £150 per month, which is pretty terrible. And this is also a feminist issue, really, because over 80% of people who work in these factories are women and children. And the reason that they are women and children is that in these countries as well, there is a wage disparity between the genders. So if you employ men, you just pay them more, whereas if you employ women and children, you pay less too. So the people who are really suffering in our thirst for fast fashion are women and children. And of course, this was seen in the 2013 Rana Plaza tragedy, where a whole factory collapsed in Bangladesh, killing over a thousand workers, mostly women and children, and injuring many more. What you just said reminded me of back when Dior was selling those We Should All Be Feminist t-shirts, a phrase that they stole from a black writer. And they claim that all of their things are made in Italy. And there was a huge scandal around the fact that these t-shirts that they were selling for $700 or whatnot was being made in these poor countries by women who are basically, as you were saying, earning a disgustingly low wage. And this is sort of a topic that kind of pops up every now and then again and again. But it's never really like taken Hold. I remember a couple of years ago, Zara was accused of using slave labor in South America, and they sort of wormed their way out of the conversation because they explained that they weren't aware of it because they'd subcontracted out to a different company, and they thought that the working conditions that this company employed were up to standard. And this is sort of a reoccurring problem. Refinery29 have a really good show called Shady where they look at sort of terrible aspects of the beauty and fashion industry. And they have one surrounding mica, which is a mineral that um, makes all makeup shiny. And in it, they sort of discuss that it's this subcontracting problem where companies will hire someone to source it for them, but then they won't check where the source of it is. So like it uses a lot of child labor and these kids will, you know, on their own go out and source this mineral in very dangerous conditions and then sell it to these legit mines that will then just sell it on pretending that it was sourced under fair conditions. And likewise, I have one about hair extensions, about how there's no regulation around hair extensions. So we definitely need more transparency and sort of clarity around where like things come from. And this sort of ties back to like a larger matter of sustainable fashion and people wanting to know where their clothes comes from and sort of a responsibility in what we consume and what we wear. Yeah, the lack of transparency in the supply chain is a really, really big problem. So what you're talking about is shadow factories. So a company like H&M could say, this is our factory. This is the picture of the factory. It's kind of fine. Everyone's got good working conditions, but often that's the front. And then that factory will outsource to another factory in order to, you know, produce at a cheaper cost. In fashion, there is no standard about what is ethical, what is sustainable. It's completely unregulated. But this thing about the supply chain is really interesting because in the end, it affects us as well as people. For example, with the supply chain and the environment, I was really shocked when I was researching this that 
the fashion industry is actually the second biggest carbon polluter in the world as an industry. And then it's also the second biggest polluter of fresh water because the way the dyes are disposed of are in the local water supplies. And there was this, I think, boy who lived in Bangladesh. He was saying, oh, we always know which color is in fashion because we can see it from the color of the lake. But then if you think about, for example, polyester, which is used in half of fashion garments right now is one of the biggest used materials. Polyester is made by fossil fuels and also made of microplastics. We produce 150 billion new pieces of clothes every year. Now, if you think in terms of polyester, every single piece of polyester clothing that has ever been made, all of it still exists in the world. It cannot biodegrade. And a lot of it goes into our own water supplies and soil and then into our food chain. They did a survey in a California fish market where they found that one in every four fish contained microplastics. So we're eating it as well. So bigger kind of chain of effect that is going on that in the end, through climate change, through our water, through our food supply, comes back and affects us. Aja Barber on her Instagram account pointed out that all of the people who are saying, well, if we stop buying fast fashion, we'll make the lives of these women and children worse. And she was like, they already have terrible lives. They're not living great lives. You're just contributing to the continued shittiness of their lives. And she also made the point that if you find companies that produce things from the actual area under fair conditions, you can sort of easily circumnavigate these terrible Western companies exploiting people there for very little money. Yeah, I mean, not only is it shitty for the women who are producing these clothes, and actually, I think what's really good about the fashion business is that we, in this case, do have a lot of power as consumers. So we can ask all of our brands, I don't know, where are their factories? How much are they paying their workers? Have you paid up during Corona? We can ask them, are you producing bio cotton instead of normal cotton? Because normal cotton just uses a ton of pesticides to produce rather than bio cotton. So, you know, in, in your choices, in your questions to brands and deciding, not to buy anything with polyester in it you kind of have a lot of power but fast fashion is also kind of a feminist issue the other way because fast fashion was a kind of democratizing force that coincides with when women started going to work and before you needed a seamstress or like kind of go to really expensive places to get a suit for work but now you can just go into Zara and you can pick up a whole suit and you can go to your interview you can get a job you can fake it till you make it basically it kind of enables a whole load of women in our world in the western world young women entering the workplace who want to get jobs and want to be empowered and want to be taken seriously and obviously looks is a very very important part of that a well-known study and a well-known fact that a person's impression of you is made in the first one-tenth of a second when you walk into an interview or something. So in a way, fast fashion has been empowering to women in the West. And this kind of shaming of women for always buying clothes and always putting so much importance on their looks and, you know, shopping fast fashion, it's also kind of problematic because it's not... I mean, I'm kind of contradicting myself because I was saying, well, you know, we have a really strong choice in this. But on the other hand, 
we don't have a choice about the kind of society we live in so people are going to judge us especially as women like I think in the tech world for example men can just walk around in hoodies and t-shirts women can't do that women who transgress social norms and the social norm is that a woman has to take more care about her appearance then gets punished either subconsciously or consciously for not putting more effort into her appearance so in a way we don't really have a choice or we we're living in a system where we have to play the game a little bit and fast fashion kind of enables us to do that especially when we're starting out it's not very helpful to kind of shame people about you know shopping at H&M or whatever because shame doesn't really lead to a change in behavior whereas I don't know guilt probably does have more of a positive kind of impact so that's really good to bear in mind when we're talking about fast fashion and everyone comes from different places in sweden they introduced a new term i'm going to try and say it in swedish i don't speak any swedish by the way it's called kupskim or maybe kupskim i don't know but that word refers to the shame of shopping there's a specific word that is reserved to shame women for doing what is required of them by the society that we live in also just to get by so the feminism is it goes either way yeah being a woman in society is a trap because we're told to act and look a certain way and then we're mocked if we adhere to the rules that are dictated to us what you're saying is so important because i think that oftentimes when we talk about sustainability and fashion and fast fashion one of the things that very few people address is the intersection between fast fashion and class and sustainability in class. Because living a sustainable life and buying made in Europe fair fashion, that's expensive. And if you don't have a lot of money, sometimes you really don't have any choice but to buy your clothes at Primark. Can you imagine if you need to buy new clothes for your children every month? They grow so quickly. And so like this is just a part of the conversation that is oftentimes forgotten or left out. We don't examine the inherent privilege that we have in saying don't buy fast fashion and this sort of leads into in my opinion is the other really big problem with sustainability and fast fashion that people don't really address is the gentrification of thrift stores and secondhand shopping. You might remember back in 2013, Macklemore had that massive hit thrift shopping. And in an interview with MTV, he talks about how the reason he likes thrifting is because it's so unique and because he can get things that nobody else has. And he said, and I quote, it's outside the box. I like to write songs about my life and things that make me a unique person, and thrifting is one of those. How can you look fresh and cool by not looking like everybody else? It's obviously against the status quo to what normal people rap about. Kind of what Macklemore is ignoring when he talks about these things is that for a lot of people, thrifting is the only thing they have available to them to get new clothes. For a lot of people, secondhand shopping and thrifting is a necessity. It's not a thing to make you unique and think outside of the box. And actually, thrift shopping and fast fashion, the industries are kind of neck and neck. So CNBC reported in 2019 that the secondhand market was worth $24 billion, whilst the fast fashion market is worth $34 billion. And sort of through the internet and things like Depop, or in Germany we have Kleiderkreisel or Poshmark, we've sort of seen a movement where the secondhand market 
is extending, it's growing, but it's moving online, which automatically eliminates an entire group of people who actually need to be buying secondhand and sort of turns it into a thing that only a privileged group of people have access to. I remember one time this guy that I used to work with, he came into work and he was wearing a t-shirt from a basketball team in Toledo, which is right where I grew up. Not Toledo, Spain, obviously. And I remember being like, where did you get that? And he was like, oh, I got it at the thrift store for a euro. But that sort of really highlighted the problem to me. He could afford to go and buy a nice shirt and instead he was buying t-shirt for a couple of euros. Not to shit on him in any way, shape or form. He's a very lovely individual. But just that's the problem. Thrifting is sort of presented as a solution to fast fashion and a solution to sustainability. But I think we need to find a balance. And I think that rather than looking for a quick bandage solution, it's like a structural change, not just in how we live our lives, but who's supplying the clothes and where are they coming from? I think we need to sort of look at the entire supply chain, I guess. Isn't it good that this guy bought the shirt instead of buying a new shirt that he could have afforded? Because that's a whole new thing. Like he's just reusing things in terms of sustainability. He's doing well, right? Yeah, like, I genuinely do think thrifting is good. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't think that we should not thrift or secondhand shop. I am completely on board with, you know, going through sustainability that way. But I think that we need to investigate what it means. And I think that the lack of conversation around it is what really bugs me about the entire thing. Is that, like, going to a thrift store because you want that thrift store aesthetic, because you want to be unique and you don't want to be like everybody else. We're sort of pushing that narrative without examining where it comes from. And also this idea that, well, if we're all going to thrift stores, we're all going to look the same because, you know, all the clothes that are sold in thrift stores were once mass produced. Like, it's not like you're going to find unique one of a kind things that were only produced once. It's still just fast fashion from 10 years ago or five years ago or something like that. The reality is, is that like now all these kind of posh sort of, you know, they're called consignment stores have popped up. So all the like really sustainably made or expensive clothes isn't going to thrift stores where a lot of people are shopping. They're going to these consignment stores. People with more money can buy bougie things, but for less money. If you're saying, okay, we're going to go buy sustainable clothes from a consignment store, that's one conversation. But if you're saying, I'm going to go to a thrift store where for five euros I buy a kilo of clothes because I want to look cool or I want to look unique or I want a certain aesthetic, that's a kilo of clothes that you've now taken away from someone who might really need to buy a kilo of clothes. There's two sides to it. And I just think we need to talk about class and secondhand shopping. I think we do need to examine our mass consumption of thrift store clothing or secondhand clothing as well. And I think that's happening. If you look at like Marie Kondo and, you know, does this thing give you pleasure and all this kind of stuff? You know, we do want to get rid of stuff and minimize how much we're consuming in general. That's a key part of everything. I think one thing you do really well is that you wear all black all the time. And that's just great. Like you just need literally, I don't know, 10 items all black in your closet and you're good, right? The other thing is is, yeah, the trick of fast fashion is that it's cheap. But the thing is, 
it's not cheap in the end because you're just buying way more. In the 1960s in the US, people bought 25 new garments a year. And obviously they were investments that cost a lot more. And now we buy four times as much per year. So we're just buying more, but it kind of crappier quality. We're throwing them out more. We're filling landfills. So we need to just buy better quality and buy less. And then there's also another movement that's happening in like renting out clothes. So saying about women who want to go for jobs for the first time. There's a great initiative called Smartworks, which is a UK charity that provides high quality interview clothes and also interview training for unemployed women in need. So yeah, I guess those are kind of more sustainable solutions rather than just buy your clothes from a second hand store and then just keep your buying habits and your attitude the same. What you're saying about buying habits, that's the issue, isn't it? Is because we're buying at different places, but we are not changing our buying habits. So yeah, you're recycling clothes because you're going to a thrift shop, but that doesn't change the frequency in which you buy clothes. And I mean, hopefully maybe when you're done with something, you give it back to a thrift store, but maybe you don't, maybe you throw it away. You know, like we're not breaking the chain and the problematic issue with the fashion industry. We're just relocating it to a different place, commodifying it. CNBC estimated that by the year 2039, the second-hand clothing market would be worth more than the fast fashion market. So the problem's not going away. It's only going to get larger. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because also, I think men and women, but especially women, like to shop. For me personally, I don't actually buy that much at all. But I loved, before corona, before you had to wear masks, just wandering into a shop and the bright lights and the music and touching all the fabrics and even maybe like just imagining trying on a different thing and being like, who am I in this piece of clothing? So I think there's a lot of psychology there that we need to change. And part of it is to do with our relation between appearance and who we are and how we feel. That's one big thing that, you know, in, in our society, it's all wrapped up. I think there's also something, there's a kind of creative impulse in it, like all the different colors and the stitching and stuff. But I think because we're a consumerist society, we're no longer creating things, we're just buying things. And buying things is maybe an outlet for we could be doing something else with that energy. And yeah, this idea of having a lot of everything or being able to reach your full potential or being able to express yourself is channeled through things and continued on from like how we express ourselves how we see our identities a lot of times for example we would buy from H&M Conscious collection for example and then we think we've done our bit but what's important to look at here is the issue of greenwashing which is basically a company just saying they're doing a sustainable move but it not inducing a systemic change to the problems of the industry. It's a bit like what you were saying with thrifting and the secondhand industry and fast fashion. It still doesn't introduce a systemic change. So a lot of the time we'll feel a little bit better if we buy from the Conscious Collection, but the Conscious Collection, you know, we have to examine. And there is a website where Carrie Schredman does a really good kind of explainer on can you spot the difference between brand activism and greenwashing and all this kind of stuff. And she also coins another term called color washing. So color washing is an umbrella term for the profit-driven practice of corporations to 
deceptively communicate unsubstantiated values in products and services in order to appeal and market them to socially and environmentally aware consumers. So basically, we can see what happened with New Balance. For example, New Balance said Black Lives Matter. They posted it to all their followers, over 5 million on Instagram. And then they said they were going to donate, I don't know, however many pairs of shoes to black youth organizations in the US, which is promotional. It gives them a tax break. It's a really good piece of marketing rather than activism. And also the CEO of New Balance is one of Trump's biggest financial supporters. And Trump is anti-Black Lives Matter. I think it's also very important when thinking about identity and clothes and your own values and what you're buying and when you think you're buying something that is ethical like I said there are no standards in the industry people can slap a label on everything to have that kind of really critical mind of what you're being sold and how it's being marketed to you and your identity in ways that could be you know washing either green washing brown washing pink washing which is using feminist causes to market something or brownwashing, or even whitewashing, which is the hiding of the full transparency of the matter. But I guess on another level, it's really good that the German government is doing something to make the supply chain more transparent. And that's a really big move that probably all governments should do. For the consumer, it's very difficult to know what H&M Conscious is doing. One of our listeners, Alessandra, asked when she knew we were going to do this episode, should we support H&M's Global Change Award, which is pushing for a change in the fashion industry for more of a circular economy? I mean, I guess on the one hand, it's kind of great that a company with reach and global visibility like H&M is drawing attention to these things. But I personally would say that we shouldn't support it because it's incredibly self-serving. So H&M owns many brands, amongst them and other stories. And and other stories always push this thing where if you bring in your old makeup containers, they'll give you 10%. You know, it's like recycle. Yeah, you know what and other stories does with those? They throw them away. So that's to me, that's what this fashion award is, or sorry, this initiative, right? This is the same company, keep in mind. They want you to think you're doing something good so they can continue to do bad things. And it's also a distraction technique because they're like, focus all of your attention on these things that you can change. It goes back to like the meat industry thing, right? It's WWF telling you to shower less or to bike to work when that's not the real problem. They're diverting your attention to something else for positive PR on their part. I could not believe that, that the containers you give back are actually not reused as is kind of implied. They basically just make new containers every time, I think, because they say it's for hygienic reasons or whatever. And what they're doing there is they're hooking you into the cycle, right? Because you just give your thing back, you get 10% off and then you buy another thing and then you're like, oh, I'll have to finish this. I'm going to get 10% off. So you just buy more and you buy more and you buy more and you're in the cycle. We need to break the cycle. Anyway, on a positive note, we talked to Cherie Berchner, who is super active in the sustainable fashion, ethical fashion world, to give us three things that you could do to be a better human when it comes to this issue. So here's Cherie with her top tips. Hi, I'm Sheree Berkner. I'm a multidisciplinary artist and the founder of Sustainable Fashion Matters, an online platform dedicated to educating about the fashion industry and highlighting sustainable solutions. Here are my tips for you to make a difference in the fashion industry. Number one, see if you can get what you want secondhand before buying it new. 
This is better for the environment and your bank account. Number two, check the COVID-19 tracker on workersrights.org to see which brands have not yet paid their orders. Then either make a post on your Instagram account informing your followers and demanding them to pay up using the hashtag pay up and tagging the brands or make comments underneath the brand's posts asking them when they will pay up and what they're going to do to improve their manufacturing process so a situation like this doesn't happen again. By commenting underneath the brand's posts, you are not only putting pressure on the brands, but also you're bringing up the subject in a place where their customers are engaging. So this also helps them make better decisions. Tip number three, share sustainable options with your friends. So if you see friends who are buying from companies that you know are exploiting the people who are making their product, then see if you can find a similar brand with a higher moral compass and share those brands with them. A helpful tool to do this is the collections function on Instagram. So whenever you scroll uh, by a brand and there's some products that you think are cool and it's a sustainable brand, save it to a collection, for example, sneakers. This way, you will always have sustainable options right at hand whenever the subject comes up. Thanks to Cherie for those practical tips on how to be a better human. Check out her website, sustainablefashionmatterswithz.com. It's a really great resource on this topic and we used it a lot in preparing for this episode. And thank you all for listening. Until next week. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsession with us. Tweet us. I am at Rina underscore Grobe underscore and Madvi is at Madvi Romani. Follow us on Instagram at the underscore MS underscore informed or shoot us an email misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You will find links to our Twitter and Instagrams in our show notes, as well as links to all the content we have discussed this week. Until next time, thank you for listening.